All right, now, this morning, what I want you to do now, let's turn into your Bibles. I want you to take your Bibles out, and I want you to turn to Isaiah 58. And again, I don't care if you have a physical Bible that you open or you have it on your phone, go ahead and open that up, because we're in this series that's entitled That They Would Know. And we're focusing on helping families be strong. Now, as we start this series, here's what we're doing. We're starting really with some more general principles. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to get to some very specific topics that families need to be prepared to address in the world in which we live. I truly consider today's message very much a general message. No matter who you are this morning, this is going to apply to you. you some of you may even along the way wonder, how does this apply to families? But I'm going to take a moment to apply some of it to families, and especially when we get to the end. I've got three things that I want to say to families that they need to hear from this message. Now, maybe that makes you wonder a little bit about what are we going to talk about as, as, as I say that. But I'm going to ask you this question to start. Has anyone here this morning ever blown it? All right, hands immediately go up. I, I've blown it, right? I could even ask if I want to go to the families. I could ask the parents in the room. Have you ever looked and said, I really blew it with my kids this time? I, I mean, some may have even very specific, have very specific things in your life that you point to or you say, man, I, I made a mess of these things. Uh, maybe with your kids, you got mad, lost your cool and said things that you regret and you wonder if your kids are ever going to forgive you. Or maybe you made a poor decision and the consequences of that decision are great. The decisions maybe put you in a financial bind, or maybe it caused physical harm to yourself or others, and you look and say, I'm not sure how I'm ever going to recover. Or maybe you made a judgment error, and it caused someone to be heard and mad at you, whether that be a child or a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend, and you wonder if they're ever going to get past the hurt, all right? So is there, again, anyone, ever, anyone here this morning fits in that category, right? We all, again, could say, yes, at one time or another, I fit into that category of I have failed. Now, we have all had times when we failed and wonder this. Will things ever get better? Will I ever get past this mistake? Well, since this is all of us at one time or another, we're going to look at recovering from failure. And here's the reason why we've turned to Isaiah 58. It's because the background for this book is failure. The people of Israel had failed God many times, and because of that failure, they were either about to suffer or they were suffering. One of the reasons that I will apply this passage to family when we get to the end is because the language of family is used to speak to the, in this text about God in relationship to the children of Israel. In fact, listen how the book starts in chapter one. It says this, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Look at this. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You see, in the scriptures, God is often referred to as a father, all right, to his people, and therefore the people are his children. It is language we use still today because we talk about our heavenly father. We sing about our good, good father. We talk about God singing over his children. We do this because God uses that language in his word, plus it is an analogy we understand. And because we understand familiar relationships, we understand when God uses these family terms to refer to his people. And so looking at Israel here in Isaiah as children, what is very clear is that God's children have failed him. 
Verse one records the words that God wanted spoken and God said, children have I reared and brought up and they have rebelled against me. In fact, in much of Isaiah, we see God addressing the results of the failure and how his children would suffer. God had made it clear that Israel would suffer at the hands of his enemies. And we know that part of Israel's punishment was they being carried off into exile into a foreign land. You can read in Isaiah, and at times, I'll be honest with you, you can get a little overwhelmed about the consequences of Israel's failure. However, when you get toward the end of Isaiah, you get this feeling of hope. Really, it is throughout Isaiah, because even as God would speak about his punishment, he would speak about his compassion and his mercy. But towards the end of Isaiah, there is this increased awareness of God's restoration. In fact, in Isaiah 60, it says this, Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but look at this, but in my favor I had mercy on you. Then verse six, or chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then in Isaiah 62, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall be no more termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. Now, I could read more this morning, all right, but for time say, let's stop there. Because as I consider just those verses that I read from the end of Isaiah, here's a truth that we all need to understand this morning. You ready? That God rejoices in restoration. Yeah, we should all have an amen for that, right? God rejoices in restoration. Too often, here's how people view God. They view God as a vengeful God who just wants to pounce on us when we do wrong. Now, no doubt, folks, God at times does have to punish the wrongdoer. In fact, the book of Isaiah makes that very clear. But God doesn't rejoice in punishing. God's heart is broken when he has to punish his people. In fact, if God punishes, he really only punishes with the goal of ultimately calling his people back to him. He doesn't want to punish to be a final result. He wants any punishment to be a means of calling his children home. What God really rejoices in is the restoration of his children. Now, we should already know this because of the parable of the loving father found in Luke 15. Are y'all familiar with that story? I bet you are, but you may not when I call it the loving father because we typically call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it is wrongly named because the parable is not about the son. The parable is about the father. And if you know that story, what does the father do when this child who left and went out and made a ruin of his life, what does the father do when the son comes home? I mean, he sets him down and gives him a good lecture about all the things he did wrong and messed up on, right? 
No, if you don't know the story, go back and read it because in Luke 15, that's not what the father does. What the father does and said, never gives him a lecture, but instead opens up his arm, embraces his son and reestablishes him as a son, puts a ring on his finger, puts the robe on him and throws the son a big party. Is that how you react, parents, right? See, here's what that was to teach us. It was to teach us that God is a loving father who rejoices in the child who comes home. God is a heavenly father who rejoices in restoration. Maybe here's even a moment when I should stop and ask parents, is that your attitude? I mean, do you rejoice to restore a child who has failed or do you more rejoice in punishing? You see, if, you, if I went to your children today, would they consider you a parent who is known more for punishing or one who's known for forgiving? Now, I'm not saying to parents today you should never punish a child. But if you are known more for your punishing than rejoicing over their restoration, then I'm here to tell you something might be out of balance in your home. For God wants you to have a spirit that rejoices in the restoration of your children as he rejoices over the restoration of his children, including as he rejoices over restoring you. Looking here at Isaiah 58, the children of Israel have suffered because of their failures. They had turned their backs on God many times, and because of their rebellion, God did punish them. This was a people looking for restoration and wanting to walk in joy again. Chapter 58 is only part of their story. It is only one place we can find hope. But for today, let's limit our look at the people trying to recover from failure to this chapter and see what we can discover that will help those trying to recover from their own failure. The first thing we need to see about recovering from failure is this, is that you must have true humility before the Lord, all right? You must have true humility before the Lord. Now, when people fail... There are many things that they can do to try to recover from their failure and the brokenness that comes with it. In fact, I bet you could do this. I bet you could go down to your local bookstore and you could walk and you could find a whole self-help section that's trying to help you recover from your failure, right? And they're going to give you all these things that you can try to do to, to recover, right? Now, one of the things, though, that people tr do to try to recover is they try religion, all right, what well, they think this, you know what? They think, you know, I failed, and so maybe if I go to church enough and I do enough religious things, then somehow that's going to make up for that. You know, again, maybe I worship enough, these religious activities. Somehow, even as I do those, even maybe the pain will go away and everything will be right. Now, there's no doubt, let me say this, that God is the answer for your failure, right? But a problem we often have instead of really turning to God is we really simply become religious, and just being religious is not the answer. Okay? In Isaiah 58, we see the children of Israel do just that. Look at what we read as God has a word for his people, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 58. He says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of her God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now, I didn't read verse 1. But it contained God's charge to the prophet to declare to the people their sins because they were people who had and were rebelling against God. Now, when you read verse 2, here's what's clear, is that the people in the midst of their rebellion, you know what they still were? You know what they still were? Religious, all right? They were still a religious people, all right? It declared here that they sought God daily. 
that, that they drew near to God is it, as if they did righteousness. They were worshiping God really as if they had nothing, they had done nothing wrong. In the midst of their religious practice, they even asked God a question. Look at verse three. They go to God and say, why have we fasted and you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In other words, the people of Israel had a complaint to God as they were asking God why they had fasted and he didn't see it. They'd humbled themselves and God didn't pay attention. In other words, in their minds, they were doing what they needed to do for God and God was not rescuing them. They were seeing no results of their devotion to God. In their minds, hear me, in their minds, it was God who was failing instead of them failing God. It doesn't say exactly what the people were expecting. It could have been some kind of material blessing that they weren't receiving. It could have been deliverance from an enemy that wasn't coming. It could have been any number of things that the people were being religious in their judgment, getting no response from God. You understand? Let's keep reading and we'll see why this reality existed. Pick back up verse three. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. In such the fast that I choose, a day for a person that humbles himself, is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes unto him. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, I hope you catch what God was saying to the people of Israel. He was calling out their hypocrisy and failure to truly be humble before him. He was calling out the fact that their devotion to him was really just a show. They were fasting, but they were really seeking their own pleasure. Here's probably what they wanted. They probably wanted people to look at him and say, oh, how dedicated they are to the God. Look at the fast that they're doing. They wanted people to praise them for what they were doing, all right? They were fasting, but did you notice what else they were doing? They were oppressing their workers. Did you notice they were fasting, but they were being mean to other people? Their fasting, again, meant nothing in their life. It was an act of religion, but it was making no difference in their life. They wanted others to see them as righteous, hear me, when their hearts were really far from God. This false righteousness is something that people battle with all the time because Jesus said to the Pharisees in Mark 7, 6, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, right? The Israelites in Isaiah's time battled with this hypocrisy. The Pharisees in Jesus' day battled with this hypocrisy. And I'm gonna say this, people today battle with this hypocrisy. What God wants to know is that if you want a healing in your life, he wants you to know it's not enough for you to be religious. You have to have a true humility before the Lord. Now, many of you maybe are familiar with this verse. I know you've heard it before. Second Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, the healing of the land, the healing of our lives, the healing of our homes begin when we humble ourselves before God, praying and seeking his face in earnestness and honesty. Lord, I'm seeking after you. James even wrote this in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? See, many times the reason healing for our failures doesn't come is because we are too prideful to go before the Lord, confessing our failures and asking him what he wants us to do. 
Here's what we do. We believe we can fix our own, own problems, all right? We believe that we have the best solutions, and we say we can fix ourselves. We can pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? We can take care of this problem. When, folks, we cannot do it on our own. We've got to come before God and say, God, I humbly bow before you. I really have no answers for this. I have no answers for my failure. And, God, what I need you to do is give me direction. And, God, I'm open to hear from you. God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. In fact, I pray this, mor- this morning for all those hearing me today that you would do this, that you would diligently put off hypocritical religion and put on true humility before the Lord because the only way that you're ever going to find healing is if you truly humble yourself before God. Now, as we continue to look at the message in Isaiah, there's one marker here that we're going to see of humility. So because we can say in, in a way, how, how do I know that I'm seeking to do his will? Is there anything in my life that can show that I'm, I'm working at this? Well, one indicator that moves us to position is this, all right? It's when we treat others with respect and remove heavy yokes. All right, let, let's keep reading in Isaiah, starting back at verse 6. He says, is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? See, what God was telling the people of Israel is basically that they wanted him to heal them and take care of them while at the same time they were treating others wrongly. God wanted them to know clearly that this is not how it works, okay? More than he wanted religious activity for his people, He wanted a people who reflected him in the world, which means they needed to consider how they were treating others. He wanted them to realize that instead of hurting others, that they were to love others, including their own families. In fact, did you notice the last part of verse 7? It said, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. You see, the people of Israel were not only failing to treat those outside their families right, they were even failing to treat their own families right. Maybe it was failing to give their families the time they needed or failing to help them when they were hurting, but the people of Israel were even failing with their own families. Something we still see in our day and time, many family problems begin as parents or par- a parent or parents don't invest the time in the family as they should, or they fail to address the problems or the hurts in their families and simply ignore them and pretend that the issues don't exist. We have this tendency, all right, to even ignore our own families. But even worse, people ignore the hurts of others around them, and they let suffering continue in the world. Here's something that we all should remember. You ready? A genuine love for others should flow from a genuine love for God. Remember when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandments by a Pharisaic lawyer? Do you remember what Jesus' response was? I bet you do. Jesus said this in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Right? We know that. But then he said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And all honestly, hear me, we cannot separate our love of God from our love for others and how we're treating them. Look, if you want God to work in your life to restore the areas where you have failed, you need to make sure that you're helping others and loving others even heal in the areas where they have failed. We have to be working to help others find healing from their brokenness in their life, helping them be restored. The apostle John made this clear when he wrote this in 1 John 4, 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
Put bluntly, don't say you love God, but then fail to love others as you should, because it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility to truly love God and not love others. And this love is not just saying that you love others, it's showing that we love others. The Apostle John also made it clear when he said in 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now we get real quiet now, right? Now I'm gonna be honest, when I read this text this week, something came to mind that is really a whole different sermon, all right? It wasn't my, my direction at all, and it's a whole different sermon, so I'm not gonna deal with it other than mention it this morning because maybe today, Christians Maybe we have failed to deal with social justice as we should have, okay? It, it becomes a sore subject in the church, especially, right? And if I did a, I guarantee you, if I did a sermon on social justice, I would get in trouble. People would misunderstand me, right? Because it's become this untouchable subject, all right? But maybe, could it be just maybe that we as Christians, we've let the long, wrong people been speaking the loudest in these issues when God's people should be the ones speaking the loudest, we should be the ones understanding this is how you love people in our world. We should be speaking it, and we should be showing it in the world. And maybe one of the reasons we have failed to find a healing from our failures as a people is because we have failed to love others correctly. In fact, look at what verse 8 in Isaiah 58 here says is a result of humbling ourselves before God and loving others correctly. Look at this. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Wow, listen to this. What a great promise from the Lord and what a great hope that, 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 that it should give to all of us that if we truly humble ourselves before God and love others, healing will come. I love that part that says your healing shall spring up speedily. Do y'all like that? Yes, all right, some of you do. All right, some of you are still listening. Others tune me out, all right? As I alluded to in the beginning today, God is a God of healing. And God is a God who rejoices in our restoration and is looking for a reason to bring healing quickly, which leads me to my next observation, that if you want to experience healing from your failures, you have to trust the Lord to bring healing. Look what verse 9 goes on to say. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. You see, God made it clear that once the people came to him with true humility and began to treat others properly, then when they cried out to him in prayer, he would say, here I am. He, he said he would answer. God was making clear that healing comes from his hands and not from our hands. In fact, the end of verse 9 and end of verse 10 reiterates what was previously said when he goes on to say, he said, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, again, if you humble yourselves and treat others right, God goes on to say, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water does not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now, doesn't that sound great? Read that slowly. Clearly, this is a picture of a people who had failed and suffered and been restored. It's really as if God says, if you have failed and you've experienced brokenness, the answer is humbling yourself before God 
helping others find healing in their life as well, so that then healing will come to your life. And so what we must realize and trust is that God indeed can bring healing when we fail. He is not looking to withhold healing. He is simply waiting for his people to be in the place where he can pour his healing out on us. All right, you got that? Now, let's take a few moments and ask, how how does this apply to our families? I started by asking this morning, has anybody ever blown it? I even asked parents, if you've ever blown it with your children, and maybe some of you admitted that you had. This means at times our families need to recover from failure because I'm sure many parents would say, not only have they blown it, so have their children, right? So how does our message today apply to families? Well, one, let me speak to parents. Parents, you must live with humility before God so that their children see your dependence upon God, including seeing you ask for forgiveness, all right? Do you catch this? Listen, what parents need to know is this. Just living a religious life is not enough. Not enough. Your children need to see you living in an authentic relationship with God where you live with true humility and teach your children that you are dependent upon God. They need to know that the decisions that you make are based upon God's word. They need to see you living life based upon the Holy Spirit's leading. They need to see you practicing what you preach, including, as we saw in our text today, loving others with the love of God. They need to see an authentic Christian life lived before them. Trust me when I say this, parents, if you don't already know this, kids, all right, kids quickly spot hypocrisy in parents' lives, okay? And so if you're just saying you love God, but you're not really loving God, they spot that very quickly. And so we got to have that. See, with this, as as you live with humility before God, it includes you doing this. It includes you seeking forgiveness, Yes, forgiveness before God, but also forgiveness from your children. You know, some parents are afraid to ever go to their children and say, I made a mistake. Is that you? All right. They're afraid to go and say, I need you to forgive me. However, parents must be willing to ask their children for forgiveness if they want their children to recognize their failures and seek forgiveness. You hear me? here's what I wish I could do. I really wish today I could stand before you and say, I'm I'm the perfect parent. I wish I could stand before you today and say, you know what? I I never made a mistake when I was raising my kids. I can't say that. I I will speak for myself. I'm not gonna speak for Kim this morning, but I'm gonna speak for me today and and say, all right, and confess that there were times that, that my children did something and I got angry and yelled at them and even punished them too quickly and severely. I know I'm the only parent in the room that ever did that, but I'm confessing to you that I did. Now, here's thankfully what would happen. The Holy Spirit would convict me of that wrong, and there were various times when I had to go to my children, I had to say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? I had to do that. Now, thankfully, my children were gracious to forgive, and then we could talk about what happened. We could even address the wrong that had been done and discuss the proper punishment. And, you know, there were times where I probably yelled at him, grounded him for two months, where I went back to him and said, let's talk, all right? I need your forgiveness. I was angry. I was mad. That was wrong. I need you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? And then we talked through the situation. There were times where I had done a severe punishment, but then I looked at him and said, you know what? I think our talk is good enough. No punishment. We've talked. we got this worked out. We good? And that's it. Some of your parents were like saying, I'd never do that. <laughs> I got to tell you, it can work. It can work. Sometimes that's all that's needed, right? All right. 
We, we could do that. There, there are times, again, all of us needed that conversation. But here's what Kim and I discovered through the years is because we tried to live authentically before the Lord and be willing to ask for forgiveness from both God and our children, that our kids learn to ask for forgiveness as well. And hear me, that's an important concept because you know somebody we all need to ask forgiveness from is God. And it's good that they see that demonstrated by their parents so that they can learn to not only ask their parents for forgiveness, that they also learn to ask God. Got it? Two, parents must treat their children with respect and help them heal rather than make their yoke heavy. And let me remind parents, ready, that children are people, not property. Where's all the kids saying amen? Right? All the kids should have said, amen, preacher, go ahead and preach it, right? Or all the high school boys that, got, you know, the voice has already changed. Good job, preacher. You preach it. Amen. Yeah, we're, we're not property. We're people, right? All right. Let me also remind you that they are not perfect people. They will make mistakes. I think parents know this, and sometimes what parents do is make life super strict for their kids, hoping to protect them from mistakes, or make punishment super hard, hoping to prevent future mistakes. Often, neither do what's intended. Let me remind you what Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's important that as parents, we do not provoke children to anger. If you do not treat your children with respect, guess what they'll become? They'll become angry, angry, disrespectful kids if they are not being treated with respect. Also, you're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Keep in mind, discipline is not punishment here. Y'all know that, right? Discipline is training. We are to help train and instruct our children in the Lord. If, you go to, if your go-to with your children is just more punishments and restriction, then it might be that you're making their yoke very heavy. All right? The goal should be to help children no matter what the age to process their actions, consider them in light of God's word, and discuss how actions change if necessary through the help of the Lord. Folks, recovery is better than restrictions because just as adults have a tendency to rebel against laws, even God's laws, children do as well, right? Don't teach children to live by laws. I, I could give parents a whole class on this. Don't teach your kids to live by laws, all right, teach them to live in relationship with a holy God. Y'all hear me? To live in relationship with a holy God who will always be with them, who can guide them in every moment, even when they come across something you've not taught them about. If they're living in a relationship with a holy God, all right, that holy God can lead them in the right path if you taught them to have a relationship with him rather than living by laws. Because our kids need to understand that they serve a gracious God who loves them and they need to know what it means to live by grace. Right? Number three, pray for your children who have failed and trust that God can bring healing in your life and theirs. What I want to say to parents here is, are you ready? Never give up on a child. There's always hope in God. Remember, God rejoices in restoration. He rejoices so much that he sent Jesus to make restoration available to all. There's nothing that cannot be recovered from through Jesus Christ. In fact, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that seems to start harshly but really ends hopefully. Let me read it to you. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, 
mockers, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if I stop right there, we could be depressed, right? There are some parents this morning who might say, well, my child's been caught in sexual immorality, or my child is a thief, or my child is a drunkard. So to say that they will not inherit the kingdom of God breaks my heart, right? Parents say, yes, it breaks my heart. All right, but, but I got good news for you. That's not where the verse ends because look at what verse 11 says. And such, were such, su- and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let me tell you, folks, what that tells us is just because your child might be in a place of failure now, or maybe you are in a place of failure now, it doesn't mean they have to stay there because in Jesus Christ, there is hope for recovery and you should never, ever give up on a child. All right. God can indeed bring healing to an individual life and God can bring healing to your family. You need to trust today that the Lord can bring healing to your home. You remember what the gospel says, right? You remember what the gospel says? The gospel says we have all failed. The gospel says that we cannot recover from that failure on our own. The gospel says that God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live that sinless life, to die on a cross, to pay for my sin, rose again three days later to show that he can conquer death in the hell, hell and the grave. Guess what? He can conquer any sin that's in your child's life or in your life. He can conquer them all. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we can all recover from our failures and be given a new life in him. Amen? We should never, ever give up on a child. Never give up on a spouse. Never give up on anybody in your life because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. Can we recover from failure today? Absolutely. And as we come to this time of invitation, here's my prayer. Some of you, you know what you need to do? You need to come this morning and bow before a holy God and say, God, really, here's the truth. I've just been religious in life, and I need to humble myself for you to say, God, today, I'm done being religious. What I really want today is walk humbly with my God. God, you take control of my life. Lord, I want to look to you today for every area of my life. Religion is gone, and now a relationship with you, God, that's what I want. If you begin right there, great things might happen. There may be others here today that say, you know, I realize something. I'm asking God to heal me, but I'm ignoring the hurt of everybody around me. I'm even treating people mean. Man, I'm a boss. I'm so mean to my workers. I mean, I see hurting people around me all the time. I just ignore them. I never help anybody that has a need. I'm just living my own life. I want God to heal me, but I see all this. Some of you need to come. You know what? Get your eyes off yourself for a while and get your eyes on somebody else. And it might, you, what you might see is God work amazing things in your life. And you need to come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm ready to look and find the hurts of those around me, and I'm going to love those around me correctly because, God, I know that's your heart, and the more I live out your heart, the more I discover you in my heart. Right. Or, or third, maybe today, some of you are just brokenhearted, and you know what you need to do? There's a failure in your life that you don't think can be recovered from. Maybe there's a child or a friend or some of your life who they're doing something that you don't think they can recover from. Why don't you just come this morning and trust that person to the Lord? Because I believe today there's not a failure that cannot be recovered from, from God. And he's the one that can heal, and we got to trust that to him today. So maybe we just lay those burdens at this altar this morning. How about that? Wouldn't that be good? You think God wants to hear from his children crying out to him? Yes, he does. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you that you're a God that heals from failure. And God, even as we saw at the beginning today, that you're a God that rejoices in restoration. It's not even something, God, that you want to be stingy with. You want to pour out restoration on your people. And so this morning, Father, as we come to this invitation, my prayer would be we would experience that, Lord, whether it's some that just needs to toss off hypocritical religion and get serious with you or 
Or there's some today that need to just start treating others the way they should. Or some even just trusting their failure to you, trusting that you can heal. God, I don't know what the fullness of the needs, but I pray, Father, today that this time of invitation would be a time of healing, a time of recovery from failure if people turn to you. Because we know, Father, that through Jesus Christ, you provided the ultimate healing. And that is through that gospel, that good news, that Jesus died for us, rose again, and, Father, offers to us through faith in him forgiveness, restoration, and new life. So I pray, Father, today, even in this moment, that we'll have people that discovers that restoration today. And so this invitation is yours as always, God. Just move as you see fit. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.